Again, I'm very, uh, very thankful and humbled to be here, uh, being able to preach this morning before you. Very thankful for our, our, uh, our staff. Uh, very thankful that I got to work with our pastor Jonas this week. As, uh, we were wrestling through this, and, and the, uh, as we go through Philippians, talking about joy and talking about the joy of suffering. Nothing better to get that one, right? I'm like going, I'm wondering why they asked me on this one. You know what? That's what I'm asking right now. So, uh, but as we think about this, this idea of joy and suffering seems absolutely like, how can this fit? True? Like if we think about this and we're like going, there's no possible way that this fits. They are two opposite separate things and there's no way that they can even go together except for... I'd like for you to go for just a moment, and I'd like for you to go to Hebrews 12.2. And we begin to understand a little bit this idea of joy that's not just this emotion that we think about of feeling, but this attitude of understanding this triumph that we experienced in Christ. Hebrews 12.2 says this, "...who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross." Let's think about this one more time. Listen to what this verse says. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. When we go through this, we sometimes think of only Jesus being in the Garden of Gethsemane and we think of him saying, if there's any possible way, take this cup from me. I don't want to experience this pain. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through this. And yet, not my will, but your will be done. And he went for the joy. What was the joy here? What was the joy? If we go back and we think about this for a moment, we hear this uh, beautiful idea that comes about. Um, I was looking through different definitions and, and I came across... Um, I'm just weird like this. But I, I went into the 1828 Webster's Dictionary because it was one of those that was set up that was when they were translating it, linked up with the King James Version. I'm just one weird person like that, that I go through all these things and play it out. But listen to this, the way it's played out. It says this. It says, a glorious and triumphant state. A glorious and triumphant state. Jesus went to the cross knowing that the victory, even though the pain was going to be there, the victory was already won. Church, I wonder what would happen if we would start to view the suffering that we go through in this world, either by this fallen world or by persecution that we go through. Instead of only looking at it through the feeling of hurt, we begin to say, God's doing something in this moment and it's never wasted. God is doing something with me in this moment as a child of God, and it is not wasted. And God helped me to join you instead of going, yeah. right? How many people look at your suffering sitting there going, triumphant victory? How do most of us look at the suffering that we experience, whether by this fallen world or through persecution? How do we look at it? It's terrible. It's terrible. How else, what else do we say? Woe is me. It's terrible. Woe is me. Why is this happening? God, you must not love me. I mean, all these things. But church, 
I want to remind us all through God's word. If you're a child of the Most High through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are called to look at it, not my will, but your will. Because your will brings about hope. My will brings about shackles and loss of hope. Your will sets me free, and I absolutely know that you are with me no matter what. Amen? Let's go and think about this. As we go through Philippians, let's go to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. As I know that this was started last week, and now we continue on with this idea of Philippians of joy in, in the midst of suffering. So let's read right now as it said this. The Apostle Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So let's think about this for a moment we view suffering in this moment as, this is not what I wanted. This is not how it was supposed to go. This is not what's supposed to take place. All these things that go through our mind, we are totally hurt by the suffering that is taking place. Paul is going through this moment. And the Philippian church is going this. What must Paul be going through? He's got to be cold, alone, Cast down, broken. He has to be so hurt. He's probably loss of hope. He's probably going through all these things. Oh, and so they send this to figure out, Paul, we want you to know it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. And the Bible does not say, but I can imagine there may be moments when Paul was feeling pretty downtrodden. The Bible doesn't say. But even in our human moments, we know that everybody has these moments. Jesus had them of Take this cup from me. So, but the Bible doesn't say, so I want to be very careful we don't add things to it. But here they are concerned about him being broken and beat down. And Paul's like going, what you thought was a, such a negative thing, this has been beautiful of how it's advanced the gospel. It's been beautiful, the hope that it is bringing to other people's lives. When we begin to get our mind wrapped around this, what happens instead of taking suffering as only pain, but suffering becomes redeemed? God redeems all things, amen? Like all things. What happens if we put that in the hand of God and say, how do you redeem this? Because he does, does he not? This beautiful moment. And my wife and I were talking about this. And there are moments, I am so thankful most of the time, that when I'm whining and complaining and frustrated about something, she's all like going, honey, everything's fine. It's all good. Let's look about this. Let's talk about it. And I'm like going, yes, you're right. You're right. But sometimes Dana, which she acts a lot more mature than I do, that's hard to believe, I'm sure, but as she carries herself, she'll be downtrodden, but she just gets exhausted and she just goes. And whenever she does that, I know I'm like going, oh, wait a minute, okay. And that's usually the moment I come in. And so she was talking to me about something. She goes, this happened and this happened and this happened. 
I can't believe this. What do we do? What do I do? And in those moments, as I go back through God's word and perspective, I remember I looked at her just as she's done the same thing to me. And I was like going, I said, you know, I said, I just want to encourage you. You are really concerned about how this has gone sideways. I was like going, what happens in the midst of this sideways that God's not using it to reach someone else or to do something else or to be in a way that you can't possibly imagine? And she's like going, you know what? That all sounds good. I just can't handle it right now. (laughs) But she's like, you're right. Lo and behold, a few days later, because God is that good, she came in. She goes, you won't believe what happened. I was like, tell me what happened. She goes, you know that whole thing that I thought was a disaster, this whole thing that went sideways, this whole thing that I'm like going, what in the world am I going to do? How are we going to do this? How am I going to do this? What's going to happen? She's like going, did you know that in the midst of this huge bump that all of a sudden this person got drawn in that would have never been there in that moment and is now caught in the love of God? And how he's moving in that person's life. She goes, I would have never imagined. I was like going, honey, this is what God continues to remind us. You remind me of this. I remind you of this. But we're all reminded because this is what God says. True? God tells us this. Paul was telling them. You think that I am imprisoned and broken and beaten and have no hope. I'm telling you, I see me being in chains. And these poor Roman imperial guards are stuck next to me. I'm like going, so, you know Jesus? What do you know about Jesus? Okay, tell me about Apollo. That's fine. Tell me about Apollo. You want to tell me about him? Go ahead. Tell me about, tell me about Jupiter. Tell me about your gods. That's fine. What about Jesus? And throughout the entire imperial guard, the entire imperial guard, that all of a sudden these men are encountering the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. It's interesting because through church history that you find that some of these legions, these Roman soldiers, gave their life to Christ Some of them, at times, when even they were forced, you'll either choose between serving the emperor or you will die. That we find even in the histories of those, of some of those Roman soldiers going, I'll die. I can't turn my back on the Jesus who saved me. That happens as the church began to realize, if without that suffering, without that difficulty... There's a lot of people that go to hell. Do you understand that? Church, if we all get to be happy and we all get to be comfortable and we all get to just be okay with life, those are the moments in our weakness that God shows himself strong is what the scripture tells us. In our weakness, that's when God shines the brightest because I don't get to be the hero of my story. Jesus does. Think of this beautiful moment. What if we start to allow Jesus and we take our suffering and we say, God, this is not what I want. It's not how I feel. I've lost hope in this. I've lost hope in this. This feels this way. But you say you redeem all things. I need you to redeem this. 
Not only that, but Paul says that it had made others around him emboldened. You would think that that would make everybody scared because he's arrested. He's the, this main big talker and speaker. He gets arrested. You would think everybody else would scatter. But instead, all of a sudden, they're like going, I'm going to talk about Jesus too. What he's done for me, absolutely I'm going to speak about him. And so listen to what he says. He says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Oh, wait a minute. You mean they're not preaching from the right motive? Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Now, there's no way a pastor would ever preach like that, right? Here we have Paul saying this. These men are emboldened. Although a few of them are preaching. Because they were, I don't know, a little jealous. Aren't you glad that we've all grown beyond that? We don't get jealous of anybody, right? Aren't you glad that you have gotten to the point that you're so mature that you're never envious or jealous of anybody else's issues, right? And that you never try to put somebody else in a bad light, right? But I did it in a Jesus way, right? You know, all right. Maybe some of these preachers were telling people, you know what? There's no way that God could work through Paul. Look, he's in jail. God can't bless somebody that's in jail. I mean, he's, he can't be blessed if he's in jail. Or maybe they were saying this. Maybe they were saying, you can never, ever, ever trust a murderer. Once a murderer, always a murderer. I don't care if he's preaching or anything else. Once a murderer, always a murderer. I could imagine some of the people that would be preaching in that moment that would be using Paul to be able to elevate themselves and be able to do this. But the one thing about it, Paul says, is this. But they always stuck to the cross and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about heretics. We're not talking about those that were blaspheming and not using the gospel in the correct way. We're talking about in this moment that Paul said, some of these guys over here are making it hard on me. These people over here are proclaiming, the, they're, they're, they're for me and everything, but I don't care what their motive is as long as the gospel is preached. I always get amazed at churches when they start complaining about other churches if they're preaching the gospel. If they're not preaching the gospel, they need to be talked about. They need to be called out. It's heresy. But if they're preaching the gospel, I'm always amazed at churches sit there and say, they're growing, they're like going, well, you know, they're growing, but they're probably not doing it right and everything. They don't really do things like that. And I just, mm, mm, mm. I'm going to ask the question. If we ever get so focused, we think we're growing our kingdom instead of God's kingdom. We need to really wake up or we need to shut things down. There's only one kingdom. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's the gospel and it's pointed to him. And if there's a church that's pointing people to Jesus Christ, we should be celebrating it and cheering it on. 
And there should be churches that are looking right now at what's going on here, and they should be cheering it on because I know the gospel gets preached here. I know there's hardships. I know there's difficulties. But I know the gospel gets preached here. Paul continued to tell them, I don't care if they're for me or against me as long as the gospel is preached. What if we took our suffering and we said, God, instead of me feeling this emptiness, what if I give it to you to redeem? What if I allow you to redeem this suffering? He goes on and he says this, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Let's go on as he says this. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. I want to stop there because we have this moment. Paul is saying that I want you to pray for me because I know that it's going to bring about my deliverance. Now, a lot of people in this moment want to stop there and they say, ah, deliverance. That means Paul's going to go through trial and he's going to be free. Because that's how God works, right? Let's read the context. The help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ will turn out for my deliverance as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with the full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whether by life or by death, your praying for me is going to bring about my deliverance. Church, How do you live for Christ? How do you live for Christ? Is it to live for Him only if things are good? How do you live for Christ? What does it look like in the dark moments? What does it look like in the suffering? How do you live for Christ? He goes on and he says this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When we think about death, we think that it sometimes is like, it's the worst possible thing. And death is an enemy. It's a horrible thing. But there are worse things than death. Paul began to flip it on them. You're worried about my suffering and you're worried about this trial, about what's going to happen. But I will let you know, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does he mean by that? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The second point is we're going to unpack it is this idea of Suffering reconsidered. Suffering reconsidered. Let me read this real quick and we'll go on. He says this. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. 
I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I'm just going to tell you that is one of the most confusing passages I have ever read in my entire life. I read through the Bible and it's like going, Paul, it's like Paul is sitting there going, you know, I'm going to decide today whether I'm going to live or die. You know, I've made up my mind. God, I'm going to live. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, God, I just, I'm letting you know. I'm just giving you heads up. I'm not going to die today. I'm going to stay and work for your church. That's what it kind of sounds like. It's, it's weird. But I want to propose this. I think Paul... Throughout Philippians and even throughout Paul's letters, Paul is always telling them to imitate me, is he not? Follow my example. If we look at this in, uh, at the end of Philippians, it tells us this, 4.9, For what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. He says in another time, uh, I think in Philippians 3, but he's constantly looking at the church and saying, follow my example, follow my example. So I believe in this moment and to the best of my understanding, and I can be wrong 100%, but to the best of my understanding, I don't think that Paul has had some revelation in the middle of his writing and he's like going, you know what? Let's see, I don't know whether I'm going to live or die. I just said that. And so now, what should I do? I don't want to know. Oh, wait, I just had a revelation. I'm going to continue on. Like, I don't think that's what happened. In fact, if we go back and we look later on in Philippians 2, uh, it even says this. Oh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Hang on. I actually wrote it down. Here we go. There we go. Isn't that good? You actually write it down. 217. He goes on and he says this later. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Even if I am. He still goes on and knows that death could be a part of what's going to happen even after he says, I think I will remain with you. So what's he doing here? Church, I think with the suffering that takes place, I think Paul is having this moment where he's telling them it would be so much easier just to go and be with Jesus. Amen? How many of y'all have ever thought that? Not with a suicidal thought. But if you have, you need to find help. Don't hide that. But I'm talking about just the fact that you're like going, you know what? If I just happen to have a heart attack today that I did not cause, I'm okay with that. If it just happens that something happens to me today that I didn't cause, I'll be just happy to go be with Jesus. Anybody thought that before? I've had that thought a few times in my life. Wasn't going to do anything. Wasn't going to harm. Wasn't going to... But it's just like going, I get tired of this world. I get tired of the people in this world. I get tired of myself. 
You know what I mean? But Paul does something here because when suffering hits us, if we just look at it through pain, it beats us down over and over and over and over and over to where I'm like, I'm done. I'm done. Jesus loves me. He's, he's, he saved me from my sins. I get it. Yes, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Lord, Lord Jesus, Lord, come. But Paul does something different in this moment because what he tells him is this. I don't look at it through the pain. I look at it through Jesus' triumph. Jesus in this moment, as he sat in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays, if there's any possible way, remove this cup. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. And thus Jesus went, not beaten down, not with his head down, not anything else. He went in this moment of faithfulness, in joy of Jesus, your, or God, you're always, Father, you're always right, and I trust you. You're always right, and I trust you. Even to the point where everybody is mocking him, and everybody is doing things on the cross, he's still in this moment Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. His mind, even though he experienced pain, his focus was not the pain. But that's hard, right? There has to be a choice made in that moment as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ that we say this, I know how it feels, and God, it feels, but Lord, you're doing something in this moment, redeeming this suffering, and it's not just to feel pain. It's something that you're doing in this moment, and so God, help me to join with you to see the bigger picture. To see the bigger picture. Paul says, what should I do? If I go to be with the Lord, that would be awesome. But if I stay, it's for your benefit. What will I choose to do? I have decided I will stay. Not that he gets the choice, as he tells us later, but he's trying to give an example, in my opinion, to the church. And church, don't we need a reminder of that example? I cannot tell you how many times that I have felt so much despair the feelings that I have had of wondering what is going on, the brokenness that takes place. Many of you all will not know this, but my wife lives in constant pain, physical pain all the time. There are both moments that we have looked at each other and said, I just want you to know I love you, but if I'm out of here, God's got you and the kids taken care of. It's all good. Go find the handsome, rich Christian guy this time, right? But we need to be reminded that the suffering that we experience is not more important than the providence of God's hand for his children and that he loves us and that he's faithful and that in the midst of my brokenness, in the midst of my suffering, that he is using that to redeem moments, to redeem people, even to redeem my situation that I am not alone, but there is hope in the midst of the brokenness. But there has to be a choice, church. If the only choice you're going to make is, I follow Jesus if I feel good, you ain't going to be following Jesus much. And if you are feeling good most of the time, I hate to tell you this, I don't get to judge your salvation. It's none of my business, but I'm going to be really concerned about who you're following. Jesus tells us very plainly, 
He tells us very plainly in John 15, 20. Pretty much, and this is the Sean version. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If I suffered, you're going to suffer. There ain't no other way around it. If you're not suffering or persecuted, and I don't mean by your dumb decisions, our dumb decisions, I mean by the fact that you're following Jesus, but you're getting... Why are you better than Jesus? But if we trust Him and follow Him, these moments... It, how do I reconsider my suffering? How do I choose in this moment? God, you're redeeming this moment of suffering in ways that I can't imagine for somebody else's hope and even for my edification of what you're doing. You are doing something with this moment. It goes on and it tells us this. Twenty-seven. So here we see it. We know that God redeems suffering. We know that we have to have a mindset to reconsider the suffering that we're going through. To make a choice to walk in line with God and to trust Him with it. And then we come to this point. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul doesn't just say this to individuals, but to the church. The church was being persecuted by the Roman authorities. It was being persecuted by different things. They had looked together to check on Paul, but Paul is now reaching out and telling them, let your manner be worthy of that of Christ. Sometimes in the midst of suffering, we, uh, we give ourselves permission to not have to be as obedient. Do you think I'm right or wrong on that? We sometimes give ourselves an excuse. It's so bad! I'm just going to do whatever and I'll ask Jesus' forgiveness later. Church, we're called to live in a life that's worthy. And how do we live it worthy? It's not by my strength that I can do this. It's not possible. I don't have the ability to live the Christian life by my sheer will. I think that's the reason why a lot of Christians are struggling and suffering right now. You think that you received Christ and now it's your job to be holy. No, you received Christ, and so you draw closer into Him. He's made you holy, and you draw closer to Him. God, if you don't live through me, I can't do it, so I draw closer to you. It's your strength that's going to work through me, not my effort. My effort gets me hell. Your effort brings me salvation. My striving is to surrender more and more to you. Only let your manner be worthy. Church, It's amazing right now. We have looked at COVID as a moment of just absolutely hating it. And I agree with you. Hate it. 
I've lost my freedom. I've lost this. I've lost that. I've lost this. I've lost that. I get it. Have you tried to find out what's going on in other countries right now with COVID? Did you know right now that in some of the most oppressed countries of dictatorships against Christianity, that these lockdowns have all of a sudden allowed the church to have more freedom to proclaim the gospel? Did you know right now that there are places that are absolutely against people being converted to Christ, and yet now that they have been locked down at times, the gospel is running like wildfire. Now I ask you a question. And I'm not saying it has to be black and white or either or, okay? I'm just saying this. In us not exactly knowing what we're supposed to be doing right now, trying to figure this out, because we, we just, how do you, we've never been through a pandemic before, right? But what if we were to all of a sudden say this, I'm still not exactly fine with what we're doing and trying to figure it out, but I'll praise God because there are thousands of people coming to Christ right now. If I have to lose part of what I thought I wanted to do, that there will be thousands of brothers and sisters in Christ, it changes at least a little bit of the perspective. I'm not saying that you necessarily lie. I'm, not I'm just telling you, if we only think about me, my freedoms, what, I'm in, what I can't do, what, we miss the fact that God is using this in ways we can't possibly Imagine. Possibly imagine. What do you think when I say that? Nobody's going to answer, right? Some of you are like going, man, that's great. Some of you are like going, I still don't like it. I get it. I understand. I understand that. But church, Paul didn't like being shackled. There's a lot of things that Paul in his mind, I guarantee you in his flesh, that he probably could have said, do you know how many people that I could be out preaching to right now? Do you know how many people that I could be out doing things? Do you know if I had the freedom of movement to do what I wanted to do, do you know how many more people could come to know Christ? How many more people I could talk to, everything I could do, fight for the church? Paul had his plans of what he was going to do. Thank God he didn't get his way because we wouldn't have the Bible. We wouldn't have, we would not have the Gospels. Have you ever thought that in the midst of your suffering, the things that you're afraid that you're missing out on, that you're missing, that God may be using that moment, if you give it to Him, to actually say, you'll have no idea the way I'm going to redeem that moment if you'll let me work. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Church, I wish I could tell you that we're going to see this amazing moment and everything's going to be fine and the church is, 
is going to be victorious here on this earth and everybody's going to be fine and nobody's going to do and, and all these things. I'm just going to tell you right now what you're talking about, what you're thinking about, that's heaven. I'm not saying that God can't do things because I know my God can do things. I'm just going to tell you, sometimes he doesn't. And it's not because he's powerless. It's sometimes because he says this, I know more than you do. If you had it your way, you would be happy and millions of people would go to hell. If you had it your way, you would be content and comfortable and other people around you would suffer. If you had it your way and got to see all the things that you wanted to see, you would be God and I would be your puppet. But God tells us this. He's God and we're not his puppets. We are his children that get to come to him in faith and trust and say, Daddy, I don't understand, but you're good and I trust you with what's going on. Lord, my suffering hurts, but you understand because you're a God that's been in the midst of it. And so thus, redeem this suffering. Do something in this moment for your glory. And Lord, I choose to come with you and follow you. If suffering's only going to be about pain, you're going to lose hope and you're going to beat down, you're going to be beat down, and you're only going to thinking about, I wish I could go to heaven. But if we give God our pain and suffering and we say, God, you are on the throne and you are faithful. And Lord, if this suffering means for you, if it means glory for you, God, then that's a triumphant victory. Even though it doesn't feel that way, I have to change my mind. It is. But that means faith that we have to fall in line with him. Today, if you don't know Jesus Christ, going to sound harsh. If you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're not a bad person. You're not a good person. You're an enemy of the Most High. You were created to be in fellowship with Him, and your sin declares war against God. You are an enemy of God. No matter what good moral actions you try to do, you are an enemy of God. Yet God chooses to declare peace through the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection. That those who recognize their rebellious sinfulness and that they're standing against God by their attitudes and actions can step into this amazing God who chooses to approach us as children that he wants to adopt into his family. That if you will confess your sins, you will repent and say, God, no longer my way, but your way. And it's all Jesus that has paid thy price. Only Jesus. Because he's the only one that can pay it. If you will turn your life to Christ, give your life to him and follow him, you will find that you are redeemed in the midst of this messed up world and that you are a child of the Most High God. And church, that if you are going through suffering right now, I want to encourage you. God knows you're suffering. I promise you. You know He does. And it's not just here. He knows you and loves you. 
Today, do you need to reconsider your suffering? Do you need to lay it at the altar and say, God, I'm so beat down and broken by the things of life, but Lord, I'm giving it to you. I'm reconsidering, and Lord, you redeem this to allow me to follow you because out of that, I will experience the triumphant joy that Jesus, Paul, and that anybody can experience because God loves his children. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, Lord, I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father, that you end up giving us difficult things in your word to challenge us. Father, thank you that not everything is easily grasped in your word. Father, thank you that this life, even though I hate to say it, Lord, thank you that this life is not easy. Because, Father, I know that through the suffering in this fallen world, it makes me lean more and more upon you. It makes me draw closer to you. Because you're the one that understands. Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters today with burdens that they are carrying that I can't even imagine. But Lord, you do know that, Father, you would give comfort and encouragement. You would remind them of your great love, that you're there with them. But, Father, also that in these moments of what they are going through, God, that they are not pointless. But, Lord God, moments for you to redeem, to give them hope, but also to give hope to the world around them. Lord, whatever you need to do with us today, Father, that we would say yes and trust you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, amen.